0: Hi, I'm David Hershkovitz, and you're listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Based in Vancouver, Canada, Burb strives to build on the city's legacy of cannabis tolerance and its gift to the world, BC Bud. Follow us on Instagram, at ShopBurb, and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash lightculture. We've all heard about influencers... They come and go with alarming regularity, partly because they get their 15 minutes and are then done. Next, well, real-world influencers leave lasting legacies and are few and far between. They exert tremendous influence over our lives and point us in the direction they think we should be going. One of these rare people is Garrett Louie, aka G-Man. Born in Vancouver, he has been instrumental in the city's rise from far-flung outposts to relevant player in the contemporary cultural landscape. You may not have ever visited Vancouver, Canada, but trust me, you've been there. If you don't believe me, go to Wikipedia and search Films Shot in Vancouver. Over 200 are listed, really, like the Air Bud movies, the Fifty Shades movies, Deadpool, But there's much more to Vancouver than being a Hollywood backdrop. It's also got a thriving cannabis culture and creative class that's popping in all the right places. G-Man was there from the beginning, making his passion for skateboarding, streetwear, music, and the arts the central pillar of a brand strategy that has made him one of the city's most successful entrepreneurs. Hey, I have Garrett Louie here, a.k.a. G-Man, Vancouver's number one fashion and culture entrepreneur. How's that? Is that a good description of you? You, you, you go along with that?
1: Well, number one, thank you for that. I, I don't know. That's uh, subjective, of course, but yo, thanks for the introduction. All right. I'll take it. Cool.
0: So I'd like to start out by talking about Vancouver as a city and a state of mind. Vancouver is someplace special and should be known and recognized as a great international city, like New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New Orleans, Paris, London, Mexico City. Do you agree or disagree?
1: I personally will agree. I've been born and raised here in Vancouver. I would say there were times where people, especially my American friends back in the early 90s uh maybe around the 80s late 80s when people would be like where's vancouver like do you guys live in igloos over there you know and and they just wouldn't really know it wasn't really on the map and i think a couple things helped in 86 we had the world expo 86 so that brought a lot of eyes to it and then uh 2010 we had uh winter olympics and uh yeah personally to live it's a, it's one of the most beautiful places. I mean, with the mountains and the ocean and it's just like the right population. It's not too hectic or crazy, but at the same time, you know, if you're able to get out of the city and travel like I am every once in a while, it's just great to use it as a home base, great place to raise a family as well.
0: It's still like kind of tucked away up there in the Northern corner, Northwest corner in a beautiful Northwest. When in terms when people start thinking of great places to go visit Seems like it's it's hard to get them to understand how important city of Vancouver is and and how unique it is. I, you know, one of the reasons that I think it is is because of its cannabis culture, right? Which really makes it unique in the sense that even though it's now uh, legal for recreational throughout Canada, for many years before that, it, it inhabited this kind of gray black market where it was pretty much tolerated. And there's a whole generation that has since uh, grown up with that. I know it's not particularly your thing, you know, in terms of uh, your business, which we'll get to as well, but as a well-placed observer, what do you see happening around that cannabis culture?
1: Well, it was was something that I definitely grew up with. Uh, The high school I went to had a lot of parents that were kind of, ex hippies and the area that i lived in which was an area called deep cove the parents of my friends were ex hippies so the cannabis culture was quite open the school i went to i would pretty much say 80% of everybody had smoked and tried cannabis it was just it was just a weird thing it wasn't like you know the school dance it wasn't like people were listening to your regular pop hits that you were listening to at every dance it was more like bob marley peter tosh Captain Beefheart, Frank Zappa, Grateful Dead. It was kind of one of those schools, you know what I mean? You're right. Um, and And I didn't grow up in that. This was like 20 years after the fact or whatever that people were listening to it. But, I mean, the thing is growing up, too, I mean, I didn't notice it because I lived in Vancouver. But anywhere you would travel, like if I would travel to the East Coast, they were always talking about the BC bud and the Vancouver weed. And, you know, you're always hearing, like, to Amsterdam they've got BC bud on the menu and all this stuff but I mean we we just kind of took it for granted because it was always the highest quality out west and then I would go out to my east coast friends and they'd always be mixing it with hash or something and tobacco and I was like why why the hell would you mix (laughs) with you know hash and tobacco like why would you want to smoke that because I'm definitely a non I've never tried cigarettes but it was just odd to me but I realized like it's just because the quality out west was just so good you just want it pure you know what I mean but yeah for me I mean it was something that w- I always grew up around and you know to this day I, I'm a huge advocate of it but e- even though I'm excited about it you know for the culture it's it's not like for my personal self that it was like the image that I would ever want you know what I mean like oh you know like sometimes the connotations that come with it like you're 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 a pothead, you're, you're going to forget things, you're we just that weed smoker guy, you know what I mean? Although I'm totally into the culture and just agree with all the benefits mm-hmm. that cannabis can do for you.
0: Right. Well, within the, the world of the cannabis today, that's one of the issues that keeps coming up, the stigmatization that people have lived with all those years because they did indulge and they had to sort of live this lifestyle, especially outside of Vancouver where it was, you know, probably more tolerated. But, you know, otherwise, yeah, that was a big part of it. And now, in fact, a lot of people are coming back because they've realized that they're kind of being gamed by the government that was, you know, throwing out all this propaganda to make sure that people— connected those two aspects you know being a stoner forgetful sloppy all those characteristics that are part of that but whereas we know there are many people in business and at all levels who are indulging but you know don't have that characteristic about them
1: for sure and you know I I, I won't lie I have a few friends that are on the other side of the spectrum that just get so blunted all the time that they would fall into that other category, right. but
0: no doubt. they that teach his own.
1: I mean, on, on the whole though, I'm yeah, really, really happy with what it's done. And, uh, you know, for us, I, I own a nightclub in Vancouver fortune sound club and, um, yeah, it's been great just to see what's been going on right now. When you come come from Vancouver and it's always just kind of being around anyway, legalization or not, it's been really interesting because, The government isn't able to keep up with the supply and they're not really issuing enough licenses. So most people still kind of roll with the black market. The best time for Vancouver was probably the gray area right before legalization when there was over 75 cannabis retail places in Vancouver that weren't really government run. The minute that it went legal, it actually changed down to about three shops or so, and they're just trying to open them up as we go along. So the black market is stronger than ever at this point. So for us here in Vancouver, we didn't really care less, but I, I could see that it's been more challenging now that it's kind of now legal. I mean, there's these funny hats that are going around in Vancouver that are dark green and they're kind of like the Trump hat that say my boy wreck made him actually there. It says make marijuana, illegal again there's going to be a little bit of a period here because there's a lot of gray areas still of everything that's going on but i'd have to say for for me personally uh one of the great benefits of it going legal is that i do own a nightclub called fortune sound club and if vancouver is kind of like a capital of cannabis for canada i would say the club would have been kind of like the castle (laughs) of that for you're the king man (laughs) (laughs) well I mean it was interesting like we got a call from uh Ted Chung who is Snoop Dogg's manager and he was kind of talking to us about wanting to sponsor a venue in Vancouver Snoop's just got some residency in in Canada and you know he wants to spend more time up here and whatnot and it was really interesting to have all these cannabis companies kind of hitting us up. But I really like the vibe that Ted, who's the owner of Mary Jane and has managed Snoop from day one and helped Snoop with all the moves, you know, whether it was the Martha Stewart show or, you know, his Diplo TV appearances, like all the different, like his, his appearances on the the Muppet show or whatever, yeah, like it's all these things. I think, I think Ted Chung had a, a hand in, you know what I mean? So we we're pretty excited to meet with him and talked to him and he loved what we were doing for the culture and yeah we locked down a nice little sponsorship with uh ted chung and mary jane
0: yeah snoop's career is one of the most uh, amazing i think in in entertainment considering where he came from and you know as you said ended up on the muppet show or it didn't end but you know one of his uh, you know it's really remarkable
1: and like who would have thought that i mean back in the days it was like cigarette companies, you know, would would kind of sponsor the venue. Then I remember the days of beer companies and stuff. And then, then there was a wave of um, energy drinks, you know, whether it was Red Bull. And then now cannabis companies are fighting to be exclusive sponsorship of of our venue. And and what I liked about it with TED, I mean, it wasn't like, hey, let's get as much money as we can from the highest bidder. But what I liked about the Mary Jane deal for us as I was talking about how, you know, our clubs in Chinatown, which is an area that my family used to frequent and uh, kind of turned for the worse at times. Now it's kind of coming back. And there was these pictures of Chinatown with crazy neon lights at one time. It almost looked like a Las Vegas strip with all these old school Chinese neon lights. And I was telling Ted the story and he was like, well, look, man, like, I love that. Like, I'm going to, contribute to this neon sign. Like this is something that we want to help you guys with. And and with that deal also came big events that we could bring to our venue. For example, we've had uh, like Snoop Dogg, you know, Snoop Dogg's on tour, Snoop Dogg, yep, we're doing a DJ set at the venue. You know, that's something that with a venue our size, which is about the capacity of around 450, it's something that you can't bring. You know what I mean? you have to charge like a hundred dollars per ticket. This is something that we can do or even offer to the people for free and all of those connections in the music industry. So that was kind of the big game changer for us.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Because I also understood that there were some restrictions with regard to cannabis and, and culture and marketing. So uh, it's a little bit interesting for me as well to, to hear that this is still going on, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we did a big Cypress Hill event. So Cypress Hill performed at the club for free. You know, like that's a hundred thousand dollar show. You know, like these guys are filling stadiums. Like, imagine we're able to throw a free concert at Fortune. You know, for four hundred and fifty people, and then we did the Snoop DJ set, and then, and then the rules kind of kicked in, and then we actually weren't able to do an execution for this last four twenty, and for the, you know, we'd been open for ten years. For the nine years previous, we kind of always had. A little four hundred and twenty situation and celebration at Fortune, but the one year that we're legal, the one year that we have sponsorship, we were actually had to put it all on hold because there's still a lot of gray area around marketing, and nobody wanted to be made an example of at this point. So I, I believe it's all sorted out now, and we're going to go full steam ahead for the rest of the year. Oh, cool. But, but I think we're all learning and navigating these new rules.
0: And and uh, you know, I know you're involved with several businesses. And just curious, given the fact that you're sitting in the middle of, you know, this green rush, lots of money being thrown around and all these various levels of, of the business, you know, from the growing to the distribution to the products and, and so on, and going public overnight on on the Canadian exchange and all that. So you're sitting right in the middle of it, yet you didn't get involved in that way. Is there, you know, besides yeah, personal it's, it's wild.
1: I mean, I would say that. You know, I'm sitting here going every day going, wow, maybe I should get involved (laughs) with this and get involved with that. But I mean, I've got quite a few businesses already and it's not like I haven't been asked. But I think there still was a little bit of that thing inside me that said, well, what if the rules change? You know, like it's almost like a dream, you know, like pinch me. What if it's over tomorrow? You know, I've never wanted my name on some sort of card when you had to get a card to go to a store. I just didn't really trust the government that way that your name's in some sort of system. Because there was also a time, a brief time where if your name was involved in the cannabis industry in Vancouver, that you weren't getting into the American Border, you know, like the, the, there was a brief period of a couple of weeks where a couple of guys got banned. And I don't know if it was a Trump thing or whatever. Yes, but it was. I mean, that's get that, that scares the shit out of me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm a, you know, my other business is a distribution for clothing. I have to go down. I have to travel quite a bit. I'm going down to the U.S. I'm going to Europe. I'm traveling so much with my business, doing trade shows. If I can't go to the U.S., so for me, it's kind of like okay, to what? Like make a hundred couple hundred grand and be maybe possibly banned from the US, you know, for, for life. I mean, that doesn't really work for me. So, I mean, I know, I am maybe being a little paranoid about it, but it wasn't something that I was so desperate about maybe as things lax up, but I'm, I'm also like not trying to get into something that I'm not fully, fully 100% understanding of the whole business. It's not something that I'm, you know, I understand the business for, to a point, but I'm not like in that business. I work well with businesses that I I know fully three sixty degrees with everything about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, as uh, I, I read somewhere, something you were saying about how the club industry had changed, because I know you had nights before you had your club, and you've been doing parties and DJing mm-hmm. with your partner Risk, and yeah. uh, you know, which is a whole other world. But at some point, you realized that it wasn't so much about the music, and and it became part of the experience. And you kind of shifted gears around that, which I want to hear about. But it is thinking still sticking with this cannabis for a minute, because I'm curious as as this kind of a person who sees change coming and understands that you have to respond to it. What would you recommend or advise someone who is looking into the cannabis green rush? What would you tell them direction that you think would be the most interesting, you know, culturally and, you know, with a financial potential as well?
1: I think if you're trying to get into it now, like, I'm not sure if you're a little late to the party. Like that's, that's what I'm unsure about. You know, like a lot of people have been kind of working on this for many years. I've visited quite a few labs and um, seen the setups already. Like it's, it's pretty on point stuff. We're talking surgical uniforms and (laughs) very scientific stuff going on. Like it's pretty on point. And then you're hearing this backstory of corporations coming in and that they're going to be the ones really owning all the back end stuff. And, and, you know, anyone that's been going for these shop licenses and whatnot has been working on this and spending lots and lots of money for a couple of years. I think you need some sort of experience to get into all of this. And I don't know if it's just somebody kind of just trying to get into it. I would say that someone that's trying to get into it would have should be coming from some industry already, whether it's retail or the cannabis back end. And, Getting into it that way. You know what I mean? I, I, I wouldn't go into it blindly for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah, I'm wondering as you're speaking, because I'm thinking back to your earlier comments about going to that hippie school in high school and listening to the 60s music, but moving from that into the skate scene, right? Is that, do I understand, is that what happened with you? So you got into the skate scene, which is very much a rejection of all of that kind of music and lifestyle and politics and everything else. Yeah, well, punk. I mean,
1: I started I started out before the skate scene. I think it went from that into punk rock. But so it was kind of reggae and punk rock. And then punk rock kind of moved into the skate scene and it kind of crossed over when you know bands like it got it kind of harder, but bands like Anthrax would kind of cross over and do tours with Public Enemy. And then you'd see Rick Rubin, who kind of crossed over rock with the Beastie Boys and run DMC. So kind of right at that level is kind of when I got more into rap music and it was, and and skateboarding, it was at that time, it was really a mode of transportation as well for me back then. And uh, just the way the roads were built, you know, you'd skateboard everywhere that kind of got me launched into the skateboarding. And then where I live, we're not too far from a mountain. And that kind of led me into snowboarding and snowboarding and skateboarding is very aligned. You know, I wasn't, didn't live that far from the base of uh, a snowboard mountain too.
0: Well, I, I think it's aligned in in what you, the actual, you know, sitting on a board, but they're very different at the same time, aren't they? Because I always associated skateboarding as a very urban thing, especially city skate, you know, where you claim the streets, you go up and down on curbs, you do... You know all those street moves whereas you know then you go up to nature in the mountains i know obviously people do them both but i always find them to be very different cultures at the same time
1: the one thing is you know up up here in canada we're very seasonal you know you have your winter spring summer fall so come time the winter you're not really skateboarding so much it's pretty wet at times so you kind of learn to snowboard we have three local mountains right around vancouver within 20 minute drive and then you have whistler which is an hour and a half drive Whistler and home, And that's probably one of the biggest and best mountains in North America. Yeah. legendary. So yeah, not, not everyone snowboards. It's kind of an expensive thing. You know, you need a board, you need the boots, you need the outerwear, you need a ticket to get up, but I'd say every skateboarder I know can snowboard really, really well. Like to them, it's like falling on snow is no big deal. Not every snowboarder can skateboard, mind you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's better to start as a skater. I personally think for me, my whole lifestyle, whether I'm you know skating now or not, which I'm not really so much, although we have an international go skateboard day. It's a global thing. Um, we do a big event every year where we get you know a thousand to two thousand skateboarders that take over the city. This is something that we started. We tagged on to this International go Skateboard day, but we made it really big in Vancouver. And, um, you know, I will be skateboarding in that. It's it's absolutely a dream come true for skateboarders. You kind of start at one place, and then everyone mobs the street. Like you can picture a couple thousand people and the rolling thunder of the sound of that going from stop to stop. And the cops actually kind of protect the the squad. So they're like blocking traffic for you wow, in a way. That's it's awesome. like yeah. normally you're getting tickets from the cops. Normally you're getting busted and security guards are busting you. But you're going from spot to spot hitting these tricks. And ledges at certain sk- legendary skate spots in Vancouver with the cops escorting you. So it's a very <laughs> legendary day in Vancouver. That's
0: sweet. So that's what I'm talking about. Like with Vancouver, it's it's so progressive, and uh, you know, in terms of how the, the, the city works, the politics, the the community, in a way that you know we have to envy. Uh, given you know, still here in New York, where I am, where they still can't pass any kind of uh, legislation for cannabis, they just failed again in this recent legislature and, you know, in general, overall, I mean, Canada as a country looming large and to our north now is like an escape hatch, like almost in the way that this, it was once upon a time for Americans, you know, who helped start a lot of the culture that is there from what I've been hearing anyway. But to think about that as as a haven for the world in fact i mean because so much of the rest of the world is really moving in a different direction right now
1: yeah i mean when you think about the benefits and and i mean you go into not just cannabis but if you want to even go deeper into other things like there's a lot of like psilocybin or something that can help depression and stuff so i mean like there's a whole political background and you know about the negative overtones that certain governments have put on this sort of stuff, you know what I mean? And then yet they regulate stuff like, uh, opioids, you know, yeah, I, that, that, that I don't understand, you know, like we know that helping veterans with PTSD, yeah. PTSD, PTSD, uh, that they're able to get off a lot of these pills and turn to cannabis instead. You know, we know that it's helping kids with epilepsy and there's a lot of great benefits. Out of this stuff. I'm thinking
0: so, even beyond that, I mean, just like from Trump, politics, empathy, sympathy, also immigrants, you know, the immigration nation. I mean, if we look to Canada now, it looks like, uh, you know, the major cities are all very diverse at this point. I mean, with and also sure. you have
1: Drake and you have the Raptors. Yeah, that's one thing. I mean, we talk about Vancouver is such a beautiful place to be, but I mean, uh, and, and I'll say hands down, definitely one of the top places in the world. You know, I travel the world and look at like where it would be cool to live outside of Vancouver. And so far, Vancouver's it. You know, like you go to Copenhagen, you're like this is kind of kind of a fresh little place. And New York's an awesome city as well. Definitely would be up there in my top three. Um, but Toronto right now is on fire. You know what I mean? <laughs> like with Drake and what he's done for the music scene. They say that he's affected the economy by 5% out there in Toronto. Putting the CN Tower on his album, what he's done, and, and the Raptors, like Toronto's on this wave right now, which is yeah. amazing. You know, I have a lot of friends in Toronto, and, you know, we have a lot of love for for Toronto as well.
0: Well, Vancouver used to have a basketball team, right?
1: We did, yeah, um, called the Vancouver Grizzlies. I It was the same time as the Raptors when they started. So, I mean, I want to say it was what, 23, 25 years ago. I, I was able to catch some of those first games in the first couple seasons and got to see. Michael Jordan slam dunk on the, you know, I mean, it was it was kind of like you went to go see the other players, you know, like Kevin Durant, um, Michael Jordan, Shaq, you know, these are some of the legends that we got to see because Vancouver Grizzlies weren't that hot back then. They were definitely one of the worst teams, which is why it also didn't survive. And it was weird because, you know, Vancouver was always a hockey town. I mean, Canada is yeah. kind of known as that. And when the Grizzlies did come, it, w- it was kind of weird the first couple seasons because no offense to Vancouver. Like it's just, we didn't have a basketball team. So people were kind of going for the show and the amusement of it. I don't think people really understood the play, all the players, the moves, the whole actual game so much. It was more like, Oh, there's the mascot and he's throwing out t-shirts at the halftime. Like it was definitely a fun time. I think we'd be more ready for it now. At that time too, the Vancouver Canucks weren't doing so hot. So both, arenas weren't really selling out so much. But, you know, Vancouver's changed a lot in the last 25 years.
0: Yeah, so what is it that's changed most and, and what do you miss?
1: I mean, there's definitely a lot more of, of an Asian population coming in. I mean, that's one thing that people will say when they come to Vancouver, like, wow, there's a lot of Asians here. And, you know, there's a lot of migration from China, Hong Kong to Vancouver, and you can understand why. I mean, when you're in Hong Kong and paying a million dollars for like a tiny apartment, and then you can get like a little house or a little bit of home and the, and, and, uh, you know, some nice fresh air and the beauty that we have here, not to mention all the restaurants and the food. I mean, you can pretty much eat any type of cuisine here, Asian or other, and it could be the top caliber of its type. But with that brings money, you know, with that comes a lot of money and a lot, a lot more. You know, I wouldn't say I mean, yeah, of course, it's gonna be busy, like every city's busier in the last 25 years. But I mean, I would still say Vancouver is not too crazy of a city like when you're getting around and driving. It's not like you're stuck in traffic jams for hours and hours. You know what I mean?
0: In my experience, because I've been g- coming several times in, in the last few months, it's 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 almost in a perfect state in some ways because it's you know we call it gentrification you know it's, I don't like gentrification but look, there's a lot of like you say Chinatown there's gentrification but it needs it also to some level the, the problem is with gentrification is it never it doesn't stop and then it tips over and it turns into something way beyond what anybody was really. Uh, You know, felt comfortable with, and if you look at downtown right now, by the, you know, where a lot of those convention center and those buildings all seem to be, and you know, nobody really wants to be there. The place is empty.
1: For sure. I mean, I would say the biggest complaint that locals would have is that they just won't really be able to afford a house in Vancouver. Like that's probably the hottest topic for, you know, a lot of the staff that we have or that, that you talk to or anybody, it's just really hard for someone to think like one day I'm going to own a home or a place in Vancouver. A lot of people are moving out, but now like outside of Vancouver, like me, whether it's 45 minutes outside or whether it's an hour, a half hour outside um, it just, and I think that's fairly natural. Like, so a lot of these suburbs are becoming pretty cool too. Like they're having their own little communities going on as well. But I think the the housing price in Vancouver and the rentals and whatnot would probably be the hottest topic if you came here talking to any young Vancouverite.
0: Understood. Yeah, that seems to be global as well. And, you know, most major cities, that's part of what's happening. In New York, that's happened. And, uh, you know, from my perspective, some of that is really good because it's, it's pushed the scene outside of just you know, the center of the city or downtown where it was for so many years. So then it went to Brooklyn and then it went out to Queens. And so it just spread things out a lot more, go yeah. to places where there's room, where there's warehouses that can be converted. Cause I understand that's how you got into the game originally as well. But even before that, I, I would like to start a conversation about fashion and streetwear sure. because one of the areas i'm most interested in is when things start underground and then they become into the mainstream and so watching right. that process which is you know almost like gentrification is sort of like what happens when when a place that gets discovered or some something happens that uh, creates a lot of interest and streetwear is definitely something like that because as i recall because i was very much a part of that at, at paper Uh, Because a lot of those brands were very much uh, in in sync with us culturally. Mm. And we would all be interested in the same things. And and we would wind up in the same places. And one of them being in San Diego, uh, when I saw the ASR show, which was the big sportswear show, huge, you know, thousands of booths, you know, people like doing business all day long. And then there was this other little group called 432F. Which was all these new brands like Stussy and, and uh, Shepherd Ferry was there and Futura and uh, I just remember uh, Rick Klotz, it's, which who's someone uh, from Fresh Jive that I know is uh, someone important in your life as well. So yeah, so let's take a, a trip back in time to sort of how this whole thing opened your eyes and you know take it from there.
1: Yeah, so my father Nick Louis was a sales rep in the fashion world. I mean, at this time he was doing, you know, suits and ties and stuff that I could really give two shits about when I was 16 year olds into punk rock and skateboarding, um, my parents were divorced. So he would be on the road a lot. And I was living with my mom and he was trying to get his rep agency going. And he only had two staff. It wasn't a big thing and you know one day he kind of asked me if i could pick up a couple guys from the airport i was 18 at the time and so i put on the suit and tie picking up his owners of a brand like his suppliers um, from the airport and these guys were i didn't know it at the time i was all kind of ready to take them to shops and all dressed up and whatnot but at the end of the day i picked up these guys and they were super cool they had long surfer hair they weren't dressed in a suit they were dressed in like t-shirts and shorts and and their names were chip and pepper and these guys ended up doing a 10 million dollar brand in Canada at the time which was a lot of money for a surf it was kind of like a fake surf brand out of Canada because I'd say fake because we don't really have a lot of surf here we have it on the farthest west coast farthest east coast yeah I ended up hanging out with these guys meeting them and doing a little trade show in Vancouver like selling it for them and we had a lot of success never been out of vancouver in my life before with my only dream to go down to california one day to check it out you know coming from the skateboard scene it was like gotta see what california is all about and they flew me to toronto and montreal i did the trade trips for them there Ended up being their number one salesperson, so I kind of got pushed into this game. It wasn't like I was trying to work there. Well, you were too good. Them, but I, I just became friends. Yeah, I just became friends with these guys, and it was kind of natural, like me selling this sort of stuff. So one day they wanted to break into the USA, into the US market, which is always really hard for a Canadian brand, especially at that time. And um, they went to this ASR trade show and had a booth that. I don't think anyone ever really bought it, you know, like it it never did take off in the States, but I went to this party that really changed my life. It was back then surf was really big. Like Stussy was a surf brand before it was a streetwear brand, as well as you had brands like Pirate Surf, OP, you know, Quicksilver. So things were very surf, very conservative, very like plain t-shirt. And I went to this party by the guy you mentioned, Rick Klotz, who's the owner of Fresh Jive. I didn't know it at the time, but this party was life changing for me because he was Delicious Vinyl's art director. So if you look on the back of certain album covers like The Far Side, The Brand New Heavies, um, The House of Pain, some some of the artwork might even say, hey, designed by Rick Klotz, Fresh Jive Graphics. And at this party, you know, not really being out in Vancouver too much, I saw these guys two years before they got big or Delta Funky Homo Sapien was there and dudes with dreadlocks and baggy streetwear clothing and crazy bold graphics. And he had brought the underground club scene of LA down to this conservative show. And this was before 432F, you know, this was kind of just before, before all that happened, probably just before, like probably like 90, 91. It blew my mind so much, you know, seeing DJs and just stuff that I was really Pretty stoked on style wise that I went to go see the trade show booth and it wasn't really a booth. It was just a rack of clothing, but all the graphics were super fresh. You know, he had a, a where things are more conservative, he had a big Tide box logo. Instead of Tide, it said Jive. Instead of Heavy Detergent, it said Funky Resurgent. Instead of Tides in, Dirt's Out, it said Jive in, Bust Out. I was like, that is the freshest shit I've ever seen, you know? So I kind of talked to him, Hey, I'm this kid from Canada. I just love your clothes. I went to your party. Can I cop one of these t-shirts? You know, at the end of the show, they often let like a sample go or something. So he gave me one of the t shirts, and when I wore it in Canada for the next few weeks, it was one of those showstoppers where people would stop you on the street going, Whoa, where did you get that? Where did you get that? Everywhere I went. And my dad, who had been a sales rep for many years, but a sales rep is where you just get paid like a commission, call it 10% for selling product, but you're not actually owning the goods. I said, Hey, look, like I found this line down at this trade show. I'm thinking about distributing it. Like it would just be 10 stores. Like for me to import the goods, which means, mm-hmm. you know, sell it in Canada, but also be responsible for the stock, you know? So I would say if I ordered a hundred t-shirts, I'd bring in a hundred and then I would ship the hundred to these 10 stores. I go, I know 10 cool stores that I could sell this to yeah, I'd give the guy a call. So I gave the guy a call, and he didn't have a distributor, of course, because it was such a new brand. And and basically let me uh, let me distribute it. You know, so from there it kind of started. If it wasn't for Rick giving me that, I wouldn't have started my distribution company, which is called Time Bomb Trading. And I opened another fashion distribution called F Bomb Trading, and we have about you know, 15 to 20 different brands from skate, snow, streetwear fashion out of Denmark, like just kind of whatever I think is fresh for the Canadian market. Nothing like that is so cool that it won't sell, but you know, stuff that I think can sell kind of right across Canada. Yeah. So if it wasn't for Rick, we wouldn't have had that distribution. And that's been going probably around 25 plus years now, maybe, maybe even 28 years from there when I wanted to promote the brand in Canada, I said, I'm going to do exactly the same thing that Rick did. I'm going to throw a party. So I rented a warehouse with a couple friends, you know, he made a flyer for it and we ended up throwing this crazy warehouse party that had, you know, 1200 people. And in the meantime, I met many people within the scene, you know, like DJs, the pacemakers of Vancouver, you know, and I was able to product place the, the fresh jive product or any of the brands that I was doing on these people, put the logo on the flyer, exactly what he was doing. Cause you know, we don't want to just, you know, do anything different than what the brands that we pick up do. We kind of want to emulate what they're doing in Canada, but that, that actually catalyst and started my whole promotion game, you know, which now I own a nightclub and promoted for many years in Vancouver. So big shout out to Rick Klotz of fresh jive, definitely like a mentor and creative guy that is beyond beyond this world, like almost too far ahead of his game, you know?
0: Streetwear collabs with the fashion world. That's, you know, that's such a big thing right now. So how do you feel about that? You know, whatever, Prada with some fashion brand or Futura doing stuff with Prada or...
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't hate on anything. Like everything's just got to evolve. Like, Hey, shout out to Futura. I'm a big fan of his work. I mean, he's a legend. Like to see him doing some stuff for Louis Vuitton. I mean, obviously Virgil who's DJed at fortune before, and I've seen his come up and, you know, a lot of people can hate on, on him. You know what I mean? I personally don't really rock the off white. I'm not into it. I don't, you know, even though I'm pretty, I dig his collaborations with Nike that he's done, but I'm not really into it. I'm not as, High beast is that, I guess, but I can appreciate what he's done, and um, I'm not hating on him at all for that. And like the fact that he can be the creative director for Louis Vuitton, the first African American to do that, and w- if he's bringing up people along the way like Futura and getting them paid and getting more eyes on them, and the value of his art can go up, more power to it. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: uh, totally. And I, I noticed in a photo that I think there was a photo of a big piece of Futura's in your house. Is there?
1: Yeah, there is, actually. Uh, yeah. Bought that uh super long time ago when he came to town. And yeah, I mean, for me, great. You know, the value just went up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I think Futura, as far as graffiti and his, he's just such a legend in the world of graffiti just what he's done. There's only going to be one Futura, you know what I mean? So uh, I'm a big fan of art in general. And um, I, I've, you know, I think art and streetwear have always gone together. So, I mean, I'm, I'm more into that kind of stuff where, you know, we, we do a lot of brands and they collaborate with a lot of people. They could be bigger name. They could be smaller name. They could be local artists. Like I'm just cool with it. I just love art. I'd say everything I do, I'm looking at it with an art perspective and try to work with as many creatives and artists and photographers as possible and i I think that'll really stem from even though i'm not skating as much anymore but i think everything i do i do also with the skateboard sort of mind too like what that did for me as far as the roots you know like you just kind of look at it from that way and when you look at skateboard art on t-shirts and graphics on boards i still say skateboarders, to be honest, are leading fashion trends all the time. The clothing is always the coolest stuff, the best graphics ever, as far as all the artwork on the boards. I truly take a lot of inspiration from skateboarding as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think it's been acknowledged, and especially right now with a lot of the loose clothes that's uh, starting to be shown and worn. Uh, By men and women, a lot of, you know, I think that comes from skateboarders because you needed that, you know, the loose clothes to, to actually skate. And, you know, for a while it was all these super tight clothes and and that's still pretty much, you know, it's still very big out there, but I think it's changing and the skateboarders haven't gotten enough credit for their fashion. Uh, influence. I'll be real
1: with you. Like you hit the nail on the head. Like I'm, thank you for mentioning that. Like we did this brand called crew that Andrew Reynolds was a part of. And at this time, regular kind of fit pants. Like we seen like we've been in the game long enough to see everything goes in circles, but when he came with the tight pants, I'm talking and things were kind of looser at the time. Okay. It, it started in the skateboard world. It was probably about five, six years ahead. And then all of a sudden tighter pants came in and this Hesh sort of vibe came. I mean, I'm, I swear it started from Andrew Reynolds and, that kind of movement of those skaters that were coming up because I was doing the brand and I remember people going, Whoa, those are tight pants, you know, and then I was selling them and then they couldn't keep them in the, on the shelves because no one else was doing a tight pant. And I know for a fact that the loose pants and the loose dickies and whatnot is starting this wave that you're starting to see now with the bigger and bigger pants that are hot right now. But I mean, again, over three plus years ago, Skaters and all of our friends were rocking these pants. Yeah, totally. I mean, the thing is that skaters will always go a different way. So the minute that the loose pants, probably in five, six years, when they start to come around again and start to get trendy skaters, will do something else. Like they'll go back to tight or something. You know what I mean? Like it's just the way it goes. They don't want to be what the mainstream is doing.
0: Right? Because compared to hip hop, which is you know super mainstream and very luxury oriented. You know, really looking to break out the Gucci and, you know, whatever the bags and and purses and, mm-hmm. you know, spending the most possible money on the clothes as your fashion statement versus the Skate Crew, which is very different still.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I mean, hip hop in fashion, I mean, there was times where they were wearing just like, kind of like mellow, mellow streetwear brands, whether it was LRG, Triple Five, Soul, Echo Unlimited, right? Like those were all achievable yeah, streetwear before brands. Before the
0: money came in, though. That was
1: yeah. And there's still a few hip ones that will rock some palace or some skate brands right like there's still some dudes that kind of have those roots or that skated and want to rock something a little bit different or some fucking awesome which is another brand yeah i mean it kind of went all luxury like you know let's just put all these brand names and whether it's gucci louis whatever like hey let's show how much money we have and all that kind of stuff so i mean Um, yeah it just it just goes in little cycles and it's just fun to kind of watch it and sit back and see what's next you know
0: well yeah one other thing that I I want to touch on before I let you go is the supreme madness is that anything anyone have imagined or foreseen and you know what what impact has that had on everything
1: yeah I mean one of my friends is one of the Uh, head designers at Supreme. And, you know, there's definitely a time in my world, like many years ago that I would rock it, but it definitely kind of became this, it kind of got like really hype. Like I still really, really appreciate their collabos and I appreciate the brand. Like, I don't want to make it like I'm throwing shade on it because like when you're coming with a Morrissey t-shirt you're like wow like that's or Barrington Levy or (laughs) Bad Brains like Public Enemy like you're like holy geez guys like they're they're throwing things out there they just came out with an amazing skate video but will I personally really wear it anymore probably not you know like maybe I've grown out of that I find you know for my travels like it's pretty much you'll see it in Japan as resale in in all these resale stores. And it's kind of become this thing where people are lining up for it. And, you know, I mean, it started out as a skate brand, you know, right. Like that's really the roots of it, but just the kind of crowd that's wearing it now and more that they're into it for the hype or the resale value, it is a little bit of a turnoff for me, but, for me, I still appreciate everything they've done, you know, I'm like, wow, man, great job on the clothing or nice, nice with that, or great with the trend, you know what I mean? Or, or collaborations that they do. I mean.
0: And the whole resale market that's never existed before is a whole other phenomena.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's this great YouTube series on Supreme and reselling. You could probably Google, Google it. It's like four part series and it just talks about the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it is pretty amazing. I, I don't know. I don't know what the future of that brand will be as, you know, I'm starting to like you can kind of almost get anything anywhere. You know, there used to be a time where you really couldn't get it. But with the Internet and these sites that are popping up like Grailed or StockX, like pretty much anything is accessible now.
0: Which is yeah, actually something I wanted to touch on as well, because you work primarily with stores, right, with retail Spaces and uh, as you noted, you know the retail sp- is in uh, danger right now, right? It's all the people buying stuff online. How how does that affect your business, or so how you what you want to do with your business?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, so a couple things is yeah, we do sell retail stores, and then I also own a retail store called Livestock, which is a sneaker store with my partner Gary Bone, and we have uh, four of those doors. So I'm kind of like on both ends of the of the angle. Um, definitely seen a lot of retail stores go away in the last five years. I think, you know, to be competitive now, it's, you know, you do have to kind of, you know, whether you have your own website or making your own products, you can make a little bit more margins on it. Things are going, what they say, D2C, which is direct to consumer, you know, like whether it's Nike now selling through their own stores or through their own website, eliminating independent retail shops altogether. And it is very convenient to buy online. So I don't know what the future future of retail is. I think survival of the fittest, you know, the strong are going to survive. You definitely have to offer an experience. You have to offer amazing customer service and a little bit of a point of difference to have people coming to your store. So it's not like that retail stores will go away altogether, but if there were you know, 10 sneaker shops in your city, maybe there's going to be the top three. So those top three will really survive and strive and do really well. But the ones that, you know, the cream's going to rise to the top. So anybody else that isn't really up on their game 100%, it's hard to know where they'll be in the next five years.
0: Well, if anybody knows it's you, I'm sure you got a plan. Thank you very much, G-Man, for letting us in on uh, some of your thoughts and uh, understanding about what's going on in the world, culture, marketing, fashion, parties. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: Take care. Thank you. You've been listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Please follow us on Instagram at ShopBurb and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash lightculture as well as iTunes and all the regular distribution platforms.